Welcome to Terror Talk, a horror film and true crime psychology podcast. We podcast from Los Angeles, California, and we upload new episodes every Wednesday. My name is Shannon Calder, licensed therapist, and I am joined each week by Dr. Kathy Barrett, forensic psychologist. We talk about all topics from a psychological perspective. Welcome to Terror Talk. Everybody, this is Shannon and Kathy. You're listening to Terror Talk. How's it going, Kathy? Woohoo! Good. How are you? Woohoo! We are in our um, brand new studio, so we're pretty excited about that. Perhaps we sound different. We're not sure, but we're excited about it. Hopefully, it sounds a little better. Um, today on the show, we are going to discuss Mine Hunter, the Netflix series, both season one and season two. We're going to break it down. Um, season one first and then we'll talk a little a little bit of review a little bit of thoughts we had about season one then we'll take a little break and we'll go into season two and then we'll do our what the hell segments which we prefer we like them very much and we're always happy when they're in an episode sound good Kathy it's been a while I know what the hell (laughs) what the hell man (laughs) yeah because we don't do them when we do the true crime psychology episodes like when we did Manson when we did Dahmer Bundy we don't we don't do the what the hell maybe we should change that because we miss them maybe but we're back maybe but maybe we just maybe a little missing is good Mm. I don't know so we thought what we would do is we would play the season one trailer of the Netflix uh, TV series for you to sort of set us up and then have a conversation. So let's do that. It's not easy butchering people. It's hard work. Physically and mentally, I don't think people realize you need to vent. You know, there's a lot more like me Do you think so? 40 years ago, your FBI was founded hunting down John Dillinger. Now, we have extreme violence between strangers. We travel around the country and teach FBI techniques to cops. You guys mind if I bother you for a minute? She was found cuffed and lashed to the bed. What people won't do to each other. There's nothing people won't do. How can we help? We should be using every resource we can, talking to the smartest people we find from the broadest possible spectrum. Are criminals born? Or are they formed? Psychopaths are convinced that there's nothing wrong with them, so these men are virtually impossible to study. Yet you have found a way in near-perfect laboratory conditions. Hello, ladies. That's what makes this so exciting and potentially so far-reaching. I can't let these guys rub off on me. The way they view sex. And women. It is not our job to commiserate with these people. It is our job to electrocute them. We can't like everything we do. We're talking to serial killers. Serial killers. New terminology. I'm trying to warn you. Your attitude is going to bite you in the ass. So young to be ruining people's lives. What did you do? You're developing a pattern of behavior that will not sustain you here. Agent Ford, if you leave, I can't help you. There's no procedural rule book for how to talk to these people. If any of this is going to work, we need to talk to more subjects. More! You want truffles? You got to get in the dirt with the pigs. How do we get ahead of crazy if we don't know how crazy thinks? That's it, kids. I know. I remember when I first saw that trailer, I was so excited. (laughs) 
I was really excited. Um, okay, so for those of you who might be starting from um, square one, Mindhunter is on Netflix. It's a crime thriller, basically, based on a true crime book uh, called Mindhunter Inside the FBI's Elite Serial Crime Unit, written by John Douglas and Mark Olshecker. Um, let's see. The first season was on Netflix October 13th, 2017, and the second season was just released on the 16th of this month. So, mm-hmm. um, Season two was, everyone was waiting for that for a while. We were so excited. <laughs> I, and I, I, my understanding is David Fincher has every actor, main, main character signed on for five seasons. Oh, that's awesome because mm. they are obviously setting up some longer tale stories, oh, yeah. <laughs> which we'll get into. Uh, so Mindhunter revolves around FBI agents Holden Ford and Bill Tench, w- along with psych- psychologist Wendy Carr, uh, who originated the FBI's behavioral science unit uh, within the training division at the FBI. Um, they interview imprisoned serial killers in order to understand how they think with the hope of applying this knowledge to solve ongoing cases. Just so you know, season one is set between 1977 and 1980. Sort of that uh, Kathy's going to, I know, going to want to chime in here. It's the early days of like criminal psychology and criminal profiling. And season two is set in the years 80, 81 and covers the Atlanta murders in uh, 79 to 81, respectively. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um I guess this was really the beginning of it all, huh? Yeah, and you and I have addressed this in other other episodes, which is the idea that um, sometimes it's easier to look at this horrific content and believe that someone must be purely evil mm-hmm. in order for something like this to happen. And believe it or not, so did law enforcement and scientists and all these people back in you know right. the that 60s, was the way 70s, they looked at it that's the way they looked at it and what i appreciate so much about this as a forensic psychologist is how they start to introduce the idea idea of the behavioral unit into law enforcement and the federal bureau um and this is really that era where we start to discover serial killings and if you remember from the first season, and it does continue into the second season, how law enforcement um, officers and FBI agents are going, why, why do you want to go in and interview these guys? They're pure evil. It's a waste of time. It's awful. And, you know, Holden Ford and Wendy Carr and Bill Tench are going, you have to understand, there's this whole other side to this that you don't understand. And they start to bring this into this field and they merge the two they merge psychology and criminology together and i just think they david fincher does this so well yeah i mean they really especially you know season one lays all the groundwork obviously they were obviously looking at like a longer tale you know five seasons they knew true crime as as we know here on the podcast is Mm -hmm. really popular and so they set it up and i i think it's really it's amazing for us because we get to see dramatized sort of what we know about the beginnings and how they knew that if they could know more about the people that they caught and talk to them, then they could actually affect change in the way that we hunt these mm-hmm. these people, as they say, uh, criminality, criminals in general, but especially serial killers, as they could start to what we now know as profiling but they didn't do that then. They mm-hmm. were just sort of hunting them like they would hunt anyone, 
catching criminals like they would catch any criminals. Mm-hmm. And they, they realized that that was, uh, well, that they could up their game, I guess. Yeah, and like um, they get more into this in the second season, but uh, Bill Tench, who plays one of the agents, he's one of the main characters on the show, talks about how if as a science we can get ahead of this and understand it, then we might be able to... Um, stop it before it gets out of control or even be able to look at some of the origins of it because it is more complicated than good versus evil. There are environmental factors at bay. There are neurological, there's so many different um, components involved that have nothing to do with the presence of evil. Absolutely not. And we, we talk about that a lot. So you know where we you know where we fall on it is that uh, psychology is a complicated science. That's why it takes us so long to to study it. Um, so season one, there's some things you sort of need to know. So we already mentioned you need to know that Holden Ford, Bill Tench, and Wendy Carr are the people that we're following. Those are the the FBI agents less psychologists that we're following and they're based on real people from what I know, Mm -hmm. from what I've at least loosely based. (laughs) Yeah. And Jonathan Groff who plays Holden Ford. I, if you, if anyone out there who's listening watched Glee, he was on Glee and he does a lot of musical theater. He's a really talented guy. (laughs) I actually couldn't stand him on Glee. And when I found out he was playing, Holden Ford, I was like, eh. and then I watched it and I was like, holy hell, this is a whole other version of this guy. And my understanding is David Fincher at times between takes has to stop and like, don't smile so much, dude, you know, cause he's this really friendly guy. And so it was an interesting pick, but you learn that this character is sort of newly out of school. He's mm-hmm. very young. So that's part of the, this is a very character driven show, which I also love. It's not just, here's one serial killer, here's the story. There's all of this character development and their individual stories, which they even build on in season two. And you really start to get his personality at the beginning and why the Bureau would give him so much shit because he really comes off as, I think he comes off pretty humble and mm-hmm. and, and just sort of, you know, I don't yeah. know, wet behind the ears. and Yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, so they have the the characters we want, right? We want the, these are the stereotypes in a way. They're the, the, new, the new guy that's pushing the status quo. We always kind of want that because we kind of identify with that. Mm-hmm. We want to be, you know, the young whippersnapper, as my grandmother used to say, that um, is pushing the status quo and trying to change. And then you have the sort of hardened veteran that, also has been doing kind of a job that was not something that he was super passionate about, Mm -hmm. but it was something he was doing. He was going around and um, uh, talking to cops about what they do with behavioral science. So you could tell he's like, he's in it, but he's the... He's the wisdom character. He's the the wise guy that's going to take the young whippersnapper to the holy grail, right? Like so, and he's jaded. <laughs> he's jaded, but he's also the one that eventually, you know. But he's also the one that's like, let's do this thing. So, and he's established, and so 
the higher ups respect him and they get stuff done in the very beginning right. as we see in season one because he's well trusted right holden couldn't have done it without him no 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 way so you've got that those two teamed up and then you have wendy carr who's the psychologist that's brought in and i, I feel like she's the character that rides like the moral compass of the joint which... and she's very unassuming because you mm-hmm. have to remember this is the 70s and mm-hmm. she's phd mm-hmm. and she comes in and they think that they're you know basically going to be in control in the situation and she walks in with the brains behind the operation Mm -hmm. and and they're just completely blown away by what she delivers um i love her character yeah yeah she asks a lot of questions she you see her kind of get used to it and then by the time the end of season one comes and certainly into season two she's she's definitely a, a a a unique third person but i do think she right she plays the part of the like moral backbone of she the does. situation. There's also a fourth character speaking of moral background that backbone that um is there that's like uh I don't know, he's kind of their lackey in a way. He's like the guy they're training up. He mm-hmm. happens to be Christian, I guess, and so mm-hmm. he has some issue with some of the stuff that they do and he plays a role, you know, if you haven't seen it yet, but he plays a, an important part, but you kind of need that, you know, guy to come in and do something for the story and then, and then you know piss off or whatever um but he's good so so those are the main characters you're watching and then from from the first season you certainly have to know that uh richard speck plays a part right like um speck is the guy that Oh my gosh. He, so Ford goads Speck into talking sort of vilely uh, uh, by applauding him and using different kinds of language, right? Um, I mean, the way, I think it's really interesting the way that um, these FBI agents are starting to interview them and then they get recorded interviewing them in particular in particular ways. And that gets um, our young upstart into trouble. So it's just, that's one of the, big parts of this is that he kind of speaks we do this a lot in psychology like he Holden speaks to the criminals in their language mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of like you hear us cuss you hear us do different things you're like my therapist doesn't cuss you know that mm-hmm. kind of stuff but it's sort of like when you you're using it for your audience and so it's just important to know that Holden by the end of season one has gotten into a place where he he actually knows that to build rapport with these kinds of people, he's got to walk the walk, right? Talk the talk with them. Yeah, it's, it's its own form of mirroring, I guess, is he's just sort of um, going into their culture mm-hmm. or, or um, their composure. He's in some way becoming them. Uh, and it works. Yeah, it works. And so it, it's just a big plot point. Um, Richard Speck is the Birdman of Alcatraz, which we've seen portrayed in lots of different forms but this is when he was young i always remember like shawshank redemption the that guy with the mm-hmm. bird in the library mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. who i think of when i think of mm-hmm. the bird man of alcatraz but you know whatever um that was not him so and then the other thing you really have to take away is uh ed kemper right mm-hmm. like oh god <laughs> he you- played this role so well mm-hmm. um and ed kemper for those people who don't know who he is he um, he was also known as the co-ed killer. He was a necrophile. He murdered actually his grandparents and his mother on top of, I think, like 20 plus 
um, college women, but he stood at six feet, nine inches and his IQ, I think was 149. He Mm -hmm. was a genius. And this actor plays, portrays him so well. And Ed Kemper has this very, almost like very soft spoken and very unassuming Except when you look in his eyes. Except when you look in his <laughs> eyes and when he talks about what he did. Yeah. Just very matter of fact. Very matter of fact. Because that's his reality. And he's got that, the actor who portrays him is really great because he's got that dead eye thing that we find with so many of these kinds of predators. And there's widely, you know, you can Google Ed Kemper and there's video of his interviews and things like that as well because he, He spoke to the press, too. Uh, But, yeah, so Ed Kemper in the first season, I don't know. That was just so awesome. (laughs) And it sets up the end of the first season um, and and Holden's reaction to Ed. And that's sort of the crescendo. And we don't really know what happened to Holden at the end of that season. He has a panic attack. Right. And and the the very end of the first season also starts to introduce – a very popular (laughs) serial killer (laughs) that will continue to go on. I would think through all five seasons. I bet. Um, It's looking like that. And um, you start to see the way he begins to orient himself to neighborhoods. Anyway, it, he, they start to introduce Dennis Rader, who's the BTK killer. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but not as killings or anything. You just start to see, Sort of his early, pre. I don't know, how would you describe that, Shannon? It was I don't know. how he how he was practicing. Yeah, or growing he, up. He or, works as at a security. Uh, they show him as a regular guy. Let's put it that way. Yeah, like they're 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 introducing. I would imagine it'll be he'll be the big like series five finale. It will mm-hmm. be him because you know the idea is that he killed over a couple of different decades 1974 to 1991 yeah so that's why they're using him as like the long tail follow from you know because he and that we know of it was 10 murders over that time and you know we're going to get into this a little bit later but sort of you know he called them projects so he would really mm-hmm. sink into each one mm-hmm. and i did not mean that as a <laughs> euphemism for his killing sinking mm-hmm. in but you know that's that's what it was so um and yeah so btk what else about season one do you remember what you what you were thinking after you watched the first season of this show or what your reaction was or well i thought it i watched it way after it was released which is yeah really interesting because usually i'm on right on top of shows like this, but I didn't really know of it. I still think to a certain extent, when you bring it up to people, mm-hmm. they get it confused with um, the Unabomber one. Yeah, yeah, Manhunt yeah. or whatever. That was good too. Which was good, but I think it this has really has a cult following. So I know a lot of people who said they've heard of it, but they haven't watched it. And if, if that is you mm-hmm. as a listener right now, yeah. I want to say it's really one of the best shows I've ever seen on television. And, um, I had very different reactions after the second season, both very good for very different reasons, but I think that season one really captured the science of this, of Mm -hmm. the the behavioral science piece that I think no other show has ever delivered. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciated that. And it, 
and because it was so character driven, it captured me. You can go on to YouTube, you can go on to Netflix, you can go on to Google and search any true crime story. Oh, yeah. But the way that they were able to bring these characters to life, you really feel in it. You bet. I mean, that's good product, right? You've got mm-hmm. the heroes and the bad guys and the, you know, they're, they're, the, the formula is clear and it's a successful one. It's, it's I, I tuned in because... I like the story of the beginning of the behavioral unit. You know, I, mm-hmm. I'm familiar with that story and I wanted to see what they would do with, do with it. They had early like yays for the series. So I tuned in for that, uh, not expecting that, that it would be so successful with the characters and that I would care about them and they'd have their own personal arcs, but that's what good stories do. So it's not that it's a surprise. It's that I'm surprised at how well they did it. Mm-hmm. And then I was also surprised that well not surprised that i liked it but i was pleased that ed kemper was so very well portrayed the actors were fantastic they are they are and uh so i guess that's about let's see what i got for season one probably Mm -hmm. as far as how i'm feeling about it we're gonna take a quick break and be right back and get into season two Kathy and I can be reached on Instagram at Terror Talk Podcast, Twitter at Talk Terror, or on our Facebook page, Halloween All Year Long. If you like email, it's terrortalkpodcast at gmail.com. So reach out. If you like us, you can help us by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. We appreciate you so much. We upload new episodes every Wednesday. Keep coming back. But first, stick around for more of our show. we're back that was a quickie (laughs) so we're gonna get into season two uh wow i was so excited for season two but i also like most of the internet was like how long are we gonna have to wait (laughs) it was excruciating i saw a meme the other day that said if i have to wait five years for season three of mindhunter i'm gonna kill myself right (laughs) which you know very dramatic yes nobody just needs to kill themselves but it was it was excruciating after watching season one having to wait that long and i i watched it after most people had so i can only imagine right Man, was it worth it? I know, it's so worth it. Okay, so we're going to quickly play the trailer for season two to set us up, get us in the mood. So here we go. January 1974. They just moved in two months prior. My partner and I were first on the scene. He was feeling for a light when something bumped him. That's when we found the little girl hanging from this pipe. I found someone to take over who will be very good for the BSU. He wants to expand the unit, and he intends to make our approach practice. Tell me, who's the one you want more than anything? Manson. I'll get you, Manson. This is $100,000, and it's all yours if you help us identify the persons behind the murders of our children in Atlanta. Another child reported missing in Atlanta. Sending you both. I want you there for the duration. To all these children, one kill. I believe that to be the case. It's statistically rare for serial killers to cross racial lines. It's also statistically significant that the Klan kills black people. You get him out of there. If he blows this gun, we'll rethink his investment. I'm asking you as the leader of your department, what did Holden say that so offended the city? We need to stay focused. If you're distracted, I have some things to deal with at home. It's personal. She had someone else's underwear stuffed down her throat. It's 1030. Do you know where your children are? This is one predator. What if you're wrong? I'm not. You arrogant, self-serving twerp. We can't have tunnel vision. What evidence is there to suspect the Klan? Son, we've got 19 dead black children. 
You telling me that's a coincidence? One more thing. Manson is small. Like, really small. Try not to stare. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> I just want to say I'm waiting for Universal Halloween Horror Nights to do a Mindhunter maze. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That would be cool. Maybe year four <laughs> or something, season four or something. We thought we would go through, uh, just as a context about talking about season two, is um, when I was doing a little bit of research after having watched it, I figured out that there are 10 uh, real-life Serial killers either portrayed or talked about in the series. So that's pretty cool. Um, the first one, obviously, is Manson. And, you know, for those of you who haven't heard our six-part series on Manson, like, we'll just refer you to that. We don't really need to go into that. But for those of you who might be living on some kind of different planet, um, it's the 50-year anniversary. In August, it was the 50-year anniversary of his, his killings. He was... Uh, Convicted of seven murders. There were actually nine murders total, but he was convicted of seven. And uh, they also talk about Tex Watson. So that's like ten and a half people that they talk about. Mm-hmm. They talk about Tex as well. Well, they, he was in it. They interview him. Yeah, that's right. Oh, that's right. They interview him. Oh, yeah, that's and, right. and he he was great. That's right. That he was great. Uh, what did you think of Manson's portrayal? I mm. yeah. I thought it was okay. I, I think Manson's been portrayed so many times. I, know. Um, I, I think know. that the, that he looked like him, but I feel like it was overacted personally because mm. I think it's really easy to to be the kind of crazy, you know. Hey, bleh. I don't know. Yeah, I, I didn't. He I mean, was huh? he was my least favorite. Yeah, and maybe that's like uh, it could be that we've seen him so many times. It, could it might be, be. It could be that we just did a six part series on him, and we were real sick of him. Um, it's hard because I definitely think that Manson should be portrayed as the nutty person that he is, because that's who he always was in interviews. He couldn't help himself. He wasn't calm or anything in interviews, and so maybe like what you're saying. I agree, but I think it might be because it just wasn't acted as well as I think maybe it could be. Because if you watch the interviews of Manson, he's a nut job in interviews. Well, that, that's what I mean. Yeah. I don't think it was, I think it was the actor. Okay. okay. That, that's how I feel is I right. feel like it was, I, Manson was a nut, but I feel like what this actor did was take that mm-hmm. and amplify it rather than become Manson he just, was like Manson's just a nutcase so I'm just going to be a nutcase yeah right it wasn't coming from a well I mean both you and I have studied acting back in the day and so it wasn't wasn't coming from a place of really embodying that I yes. don't just be my my critique was just sort of that it needed to be coming from a more authentic place yes, exactly yeah because when you watch him in interviews he I and I and I have to say I mean, we're starting out with a little bit of criticism, which I think is good because we love this show so much. But is that in in the dialogue as well, and I would have to look at the dialogue pure without the actor in my head, but there's Manson was really rhythmic and rhyming when he would speak. 
And I didn't get that either. So it might be some kind of a combination between like what was written for the actor and then the actor because mm-hmm. there, I don't know, just didn't quite, I was fine mm-hmm. and it wasn't like it lasted forever, but it lasted a little bit longer than I would have liked because it wasn't going well. But, you know. I feel like for people who haven't really studied him or It'll read him or watched him yeah. because he looked like him. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. But fine. for people who have spent the amount of time that you have and now I have, <laughs> yeah. um, I just didn't buy it. Yeah. And it, it, it started to feel uncomfortable watching it yeah, for like me. I, I went and got a drink. Like and, a, yeah. like a, like a bad performance on American Idol. I was like, this scene needs to end. Yeah. Can we stop now? Yeah. But they couldn't because Holden says like, you know, there's a, even in the, said it in the trailer, like wh- who's the interview you want? Well, Manson, of course. So they had to make it a thing, right? Yeah. And that's what I think was so disappointing for me land. is they tried yeah. to sell yeah. season two with Manson, which I don't think Manson should have been the selling point. I think it should have been, it's Dennis Rader, but yeah, but it's timeline. Yeah. It's purely timeline. Cause yeah. if season two is 79 to 81, yeah. they have to deal with it because yeah. he just went to prison in 79 or eight, you know, whatever. So uh, yeah, it's purely timeline. They kind of had to do it. And I, and I imagine obviously they're not idiots. They know the anniversary was here. Mm-hmm, they know, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, all that stuff is very well thought out in Holly weird. So, um, and so then, uh, Ed Kemper, obviously committed of 10 murders. Mm hmm. Uh, the co-ed killer. I think that's not including his grandparents and his mother. Oh, right? maybe not. I don't know. I'm not actually sure. Maybe we should do a series on him. Uh, yeah, I know he killed most of his family. <laughs> uh, you said this some of the stuff about him. It, the reason why he's a co-ed killer is because he would he was known for like picking up women hitchhiking, young women hitchhiking, um, usually co-eds, college students. Apparently he was, I think he was originally, he turned himself in because he killed his mother and then the guilt over killing his mother. Killed his mother, he decapitated her and then basically had sex with her head. Yes, there's that. Not even basically, he just did. Yeah, we say basically because it's hard to say. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Basically, in a very basic and, way. And he talks about it <laughs> yeah, in a very does. basic way and he how does. difficult, how hard it is to sever a head and how <laughs> Maybe that's thick the mus- muscular tissue yeah. is. Yeah, He's like, people, I love that in the series when he's like, people underestimate how difficult it is to dismember a body. Yeah, I'm like, ah, and I love you for all kinds of sick reasons. I mean, please don't come to my house. But, <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, and so after he killed his mom and did those disgusting things, he called the police to turn himself in and they didn't accept his confession <laughs> over the phone which I find amusing mm-hmm. and so he tried again and they they finally did accept his confession uh, and he currently resides in the California Medal- Medical Facility CDCR uh, in an all male state prison so. is he still at Vacaville uh is CDCR the same thing as Vacaville? Oh, CDCR know. is just the correctional term. So yeah. California Medical Facility is what okay. I re- what I read is okay. where he's at. So you know he's there. So that's a good place for him. Uh, Berkowitz is another person that mm-hmm. they deal with. So Berkowitz is the son of Sam, uh, convicted of six murders, uh, wounded seven. Because if you'll remember, he was the one going around shooting people in cars. And he would often go up on the passenger side, right? Mm-hmm. So he would kill often the woman. So mm-hmm. that was what it was thought, was that the, the female in the on the date was the target because he would go to the passenger side. Passenger and in side. those days, mm-hmm. that was where we ladies sat, mm-hmm. apparently, on, the, uh, on a date anyway. 
Uh, so he's also famous for the Son of Sam laws that were instituted be- so that criminals couldn't make a profit on their crimes in the media because he was one of the first people that was like trying to make money, mm-hmm. sell his story and all of that. Yeah, believing that the neighbor's dog was yeah, possessing him and giving hoax. him... But so much in, in the season really unravels. They talk about his narcissism. around. He couldn't help himself mm-hmm. but to basically state that he was full of shit, like gave himself away because he couldn't actually admit to being sick. Yeah, the debunking of it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, for those of you who don't know, the whole uh, listening to his dog and killing people because his dog said so was all a hoax. Mm -hmm. I bet some people don't know that, like, Mm -hmm. because it's so famous that that was what he did, that he was listening to Satan and, you know, schizophrenic and following those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And that's actually not i think maybe well, yeah, once he was once he was uh arrested and you know contained and all that he admitted that that was bs mm-hmm. um i just want to also say that this actor was remarkable and although it was just a cameo at least for this season mm-hmm. um he i thought he was awesome yeah, no, he was really great. It, you were saying you think maybe that's prosthetics that he was wearing? It, or? I don't, the way that they made his nose, if you look at Berkowitz's face, e- either they found an actor with the same exact dimensions of his nose and the way his cheekbones sat, or they, they used makeup. His yeah. eyes, all of it. It was uncanny. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at a picture of the real Berkowitz right now, and it's really freaking similar. So, mm-hmm. yeah. and But I also think that they did that. I mean, what I'm hearing now in our conversations, like all the actors really, they, they, made, a, they made a concerted effort to have them be doppelgangers, right? Like mm-hmm. that they all, I don't know, look the same or whatever. Um, he is also in prison. He's, you know, found God, and he goes by the son of hope now. Oh. I don't know if you knew that. but <laughs> With regards to season two of Mindhunter, I also think, you know, one of the things that they did throughout the season, which I thought was so strikingly adept, was that they they really show you how they started to come up with profiles. So with Son of Sam, mm-hmm. it was like they they got into knowing the lusting for control. Like how they caught him was his lust for control of his media, of his story, of the way he was portrayed, mm-hmm. of who, who he was seen as, you know, his infamy, right? Mm-hmm. And that's how they caught him. And so they realized, oh, okay, this is what, you know, and they put, this whole season puts together all of these little puzzle pieces of how mm-hmm. they started to profile, which I think is super cool. When when all of these children go missing between, you know, William's case and Raider's case, you can see that they choose certain people, mm-hmm. you know, to go back and start to ask questions. Well, what would you do in this scenario? And yeah, you really start to see how the profiles start to build mm-hmm. um, and they organize it in such a way that for someone who doesn't know this stuff or doesn't have a background in the stuff, it's really easy to follow. And I appreciated that because not everybody watching the show has any idea how the stuff works. Yeah. And I thought that they did a good job in organizing it too. 
Yeah, you you're sort of it, it's just really well done because they're they're laying out the personal stories, they're laying out the professional story, they're laying out all these serial killers and that's always interesting scenes and then they're also telling you the story of how it all got developed. So it's psych meets crime meets TV meets, you know, uh, personal tragedy. Like it's all mm-hmm. it's good stuff. Anyway, okay. Next one. Uh Dennis Raider who is the BTK Strangler. Uh, so he's the one we were talking about earlier. He killed from 74 to 91. He was convicted of 10 murders, but suspected of many more, I imagine. What's so interesting about this guy and what's so remarkable remarkable about his profile was his ability for inhibition and to be able to stop himself. Because like you were saying, over t- over... For three and a half decades, 10 murders are really not a lot. For, for most serial killers, it would be much more compulsive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so so what I, what I can tell by that, like, uh, he was, his thing, and we've obviously never done a series on BTK Strangler, but from what I can tell is that he, the stalking and the killing, he called them projects. He, he, when he stood up and allocuted in court, he, he said, well, I call them projects, but, he, you know, I spent time stalking and killing and working on each project at a time. So that's a particular kind of psychology. That's, that's the hunt. That's stalking. And he was a sexual sadist, so that makes sense. Mm-hmm. The, the ramping up of it was very important. And from 74 to 91, which I guess actually is two and a half decades, the 80s, the, it was the end of the seventies, the eighties. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Just so we're, mm-hmm. just so we're. I'm not counting wrong. <laughs> um, and then also the other thing I think is interesting is the double life. He led a double life. He had, uh, you know, a daughter, a, a wife, family, yeah. job, all of that. Church going guy. His his daughter mm-hmm. just did an, a two hour interview, and she's written a book. I believe it's called The Serial Killer's Daughter. I think her name is Carrie Rawson. Mm-hmm. It's a really good interview, and she speaks a lot about growing up with him as a father and how, according to her anyway, this is not what's evidence in season two without giving anything away. Mm-hmm. According to her, the family had no idea um, that any of this was going on. On and granted, there's a big difference between being a sexual sadist and a serial killer. They're not always mutually exclusive. Sure. But um, she did say that you know he, for the most part, he was a very calm guy. He, she only saw him get angry twice. That they never, after talking to her mother after he was arrested, that they never really suspected anything like this. So I wonder how much of that too plays into you know ten murders in two decades in taking his time at the end of the first season, like we were talking about in the first part, they really set up how he spent at least a year or two working in like home security, learning how to break into homes, learning how to stalk people, uh, what their schedules like were, were like between Monday through Friday. Mm -hmm. This was really, it really was a project. Yeah. That's, that's what's so interesting about him is all the time. And, you know, like you would with a career spanning over decades. Mm-hmm. I mean, he would have just kept going. Studied. Obviously. Yeah. It, it's interesting because he he did the whole taunting letters thing. He, he To the police. Yeah, yeah. to the police. Mm-hmm. So he had that, which of course is widely um, portrayed in the movies about him as mm-hmm. these like, you know, and I think that's, 
I mean, just in this moment, I'm thinking that's him stalking the police, right? That's his, that's like his 11th project Yeah, (laughs) is the way I kind of see it in my head is that. How many people could he toy with? Yeah, he was, that was part of the sadism, right? He's Mm -hmm. toying with you. He's going to toy with anyone. He's going to, so he's toying with the police. And that was like your, you know, your B side of thrill for the Mm -hmm. day is taunting the police. So yeah, he was president of his church's council. He was, you know. I think there's a line in the second season where they say, this guy, no, they don't know it's, yeah. Then straight away, this guy w- does not go to church. <laughs> right. And I imagine in season three or four, they're going to figure out this guy's a church guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, he was like in a pastoral position, I think, a youth pastoral, yeah. something like well, that. Well, he yeah. was definitely the on the church council. So, yeah. um, well, and that's interesting for us to note, actually, because, you know, what I was, we were, we were saying before about how they lay out how they built, that's, not the one they got this season, right? right? Like they got things about lusting for control. They got things about uh, race. They got a lot of other different kinds of profiling factors, but they didn't get this one. And, mm-hmm. you know, male, female, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They still got a lot to go, right? As mm-hmm. from even just from what we know. We still do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a, As we've always said, we're always learning and growing. So uh, William Jr. Pierce uh, was the guy in season two who loves sweets. <laughs> He was fantastic. <laughs> and I couldn't was, stop watching him. He was awesome because um, he really personified in of how we can laugh sometimes at people who are really sick in in these ways, especially when they're narcissistic. Because his IQ in real life barely broke seventy, but the whole premise of the interview was like, "I'm really smart and I know everything." And, and, his then, way- and then he kept soliloquizing, <laughs> yeah. right? Like he kept using the wrong word. For and Holden thing. Holden would just say, "He'd go, you're just, I'm just like." captivated by your intelligence or whatever and he and he was such an asshole he was so confident that he was using the right word that That scene was i was glued to that scene yeah it's one of the ones i'll watch again you know when you rewatch a series and you kind of like fast forward through this the plot points that you know and you go to all the scenes with the serial killers that's why we're kind of highlighting them too um yeah he was amazing so he's currently in prison as well so you know Mm mm-hmm they are. Uh, William Henry Hans uh, murdered four people in 1978. Yeah, he was an African-American gentleman um, that they interviewed. And, you know, I don't remember a ton about that interview, but what I do know is that he was very much the, I'm a humble guy, I didn't do it. He was playing that mm-hmm. whole rap. Um, and that is what he ended up doing throughout a lot of it. Just so you know, the guy that... Bill is based on the FBI agent. His real name is Robert Ressler, I believe. And he did uh, this guy, Hans's real life psychological profile. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as we do in, in media, as people do when they write, they distort time. So we collapse and expand time. And sometimes people who don't work in entertainment get upset by that. Like that's not the order it happened in and da, da, da. And, and that's fair, except if we did it that way, you'd be reading an autobiography on screen, right? Like it'd be right. super boring. So right. this is one of those moments where they obviously, uh, expanded time a little bit to, because what we know is the real life guy had done this guy's psychological profile. So, mm-hmm. 
It's just not part of the story that they told. Uh, And then there's Elmer Wayne Henley, uh, murdered seven people by the age of 17. So he's the young dude that we see. Uh, He murdered them at the behest of Dean Carell, who they also mention, who was eventually killed. So Henley eventually killed Carell. Um, Henley is currently still in prison. Carell is dead. They, he was... Carell was a Houston mur- Candyman killer. That's who he was. It was, it was the Houston mass murders. That's right. And he was known as the Candyman. Gotcha. Um, and then they, they, or he, I think, and Elmer mm-hmm. worked under him, I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah. Murdered, raped, tortured, murdered 28 teenage boys. Right. And this is, this is the guy, Elmer's the guy they go to when they're trying to figure out the Atlanta child murders, I believe, right? They're trying to profile... Yeah, that's the kind of guys that they they're interview the whole time. They're they're having personal stories. They're trying to figure out the Atlanta murder murders and who did them, and they're also trying to do their job and interview all these serial killers and learn how to profile. So there's like a lot of moving parts. Yeah, um, and this is when they still believe potentially believe that the Atlanta child killer is white. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that so so the guy I just talked about, uh, William Henry Hance, who they interview, who was the person who Ressler did the psychological profile of, he was part of that too because that was um, in that psychological profile, the real life one. Uh, Ressler talks about how the killer was African American and was probably had been in the military and like there's these things that no one had really I don't think put in profiles necessarily mm-hmm. up until that point because it was all very new and so I think one of the reasons why they portray him is the race piece because the Atlanta um, murderer is is black and so they were building that story of how they figured out how they could profile an African-American person. Yeah, and I think that what I liked about this piece of the show was they sent a black guy and a white guy out onto the street, basically into the inner Mm -hmm. city, and they started to put together, like, these kids are not going to get into a car Mm -hmm. with a white guy. Mm -hmm. Um, And the way that they did these experiments was really fascinating. Um, I really liked that part mm-hmm. of it a lot. And I like um, the black actor and the part that he portrays where they bring him in and he starts to do the interviews with uh, Holden because the other guy yeah. can't always yeah, go because yeah, yeah. he's got family issues yeah. and all that. And so, so Holden doesn't go alone and they bring him in and I really liked him. I really like him mm-hmm. and I really like how they added that because he's kind of funny too and has his own kind of personality, which yeah. is all we ever asked for is just a little bit of a personality there. Um, so Paul Batason murdered seven. Uh, yeah, Paul Batason. So FYI, his whereabouts are not known. We do not know if he's alive or dead. Uh, he did go to prison for a bit, and then they released him. And so we don't know where he is. The actor who played this role, too, was yeah really good and looked a lot like him. But I have a fun fact about Paul Batason. Are you ready? Please, I like fun okay. facts. Let me move my notes closer so I don't <laughs> lose you guys. Okay, so we've talked about The Exorcist on this show. We sure have. Okay. So, um, the, so in 1973, when William Friedkin, if, if you've all seen it, or if most of you have seen The Exorcist, there is a scene 
where they go to New York University Medical Center um, because they believe that Regan mm-hmm. um, is potentially having some neurological stuff. Mm-hmm. And so they shoot the scene of Linda Blair undergoing a carotid angiography procedure. Mm. Well, Paul Batason is working as an x-ray tech in the university at that time and is in that scene. Mm, really? Yep. And so okay. I'm going I'm to show this to Shannon real quick. You guys can't see this, but <laughs> you can Google it. I'm sure. Oh, look at that. There he is. Okay. And he was known to be, he, most of his murders, I think were in the meatpacking district in New York. So it would make sense that he was working there and he just ended up as an extra in the exorcist. Mm-hmm. Happened to be a gay gentleman. Yes. Yep. So that, that's also another piece of this, right? So we're starting to introduce a lot of diversity. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I'm getting from this whole season is that they, they started to realize that it wasn't just, although there's a predominance of course, of straight white males being serial killers. We understand that now from the statistics over several decades, but what they're showing you is that there's, uh, race involved. There's, uh, you know, sexual preference. There's all the diversity starting to come in. Yeah. And what they also did was take it one step further, which was educated the audience watching the show about how they started to separate organized from disorganized crime. Hmm. So that when there's a scene where they're going through the different, um, I can't remember which case they're working on, mm-hmm. but they're all walking through, okay, would you put him in organized or disorganized? Disorganized. So they start to introduce that too, which is cool. Yeah. It's a little like, you know, when you're, when you're writing something or doing a project and you've got to put everything on, you know, three by five cards and you're yeah. like, if you choose this, go yeah, that yeah, way. If yeah. you choose this, go that they way. They were really trying to figure that out. And they were really, I mean, they're doing a research study. That's why there's a psychologist on board. They're trying to figure out where they go. And we talk about that in our episode on myths about serial killers. We talk a little bit more about organized and disorganized crime. So if you yeah. want to check that out, use that as a reference. So then let's go for the last one. And the one that just keeps on the, the this whole season was sort of based on, uh, whereas last the, the first season was more based on Ed Kemper. This season was really based on a, they were really hunting a real guy. They were at, now they're actually trying to put their profile to work, right? Like Ed mm-hmm. Kemper, the first season was just all the background and trying to learn about and trying to get it up and running and the trials and tribulations with that. And now they're actually starting to hunt people and use what they're doing. And so Wayne Bertram Williams, who is convicted of two murders, but suspected to be like 24 plus was the Atlanta murderer. Yeah, and he was this actor too. Blew I me know away. they were amazing. Um, um, most, even though most of the murders, I, I was really curious what they were. I knew I had heard that this is what the season was going to be sort of based on, and I was really interested to know how they were going to handle it because most of the murders remain technically unsolved, even though a lot of the evidence and there's even like hairs and fibers and all kinds of stuff points to it and. The community at large has accepted that there were, you know, 25 plus murders probably that he was a part of that he can um, executed. But uh, I was just really interested how they were going to handle the whole fact that like most of it he didn't cop to or didn't get caught for. Mm -hmm. And I thought they handled it pretty Mm -hmm. well. I think he's another one where like they were talking about the lust for control. 
Oh, yeah. Because he was crazy. <laughs> uh, and, I, the, and a hebophile. I think this was mm-hmm. one of also the first times they talk about the difference between a pedophile and a hebophile. Oh, right. Um, because he was all into the the teens and the preteens. Yes, under the guise of being a record producer. And he would l- put flyers out for new people, but then they eventually started to figure out that he wasn't, you know, recording anything. So, uh, but we don't, you know, that's one big piece of this um, season, so we won't talk too much about it. But if you haven't seen this season, you might want to just take a break for a couple minutes. I want to talk a little spoilers about the end of season two. Um, Then we'll take a break and then we'll do our what the hell. So if you haven't really seen the end of uh, season two, maybe skip ahead or come back later or whatever. So. Here we go. Uh, so, yes, the end. Oh, okay. my God. Before we get to the end. <laughs> yes, yes, ma'am. I was telling a colleague of mine yesterday that the opening scene to season two might, for me, in my opinion, mm-hmm. one of the most terrifying opening scenes I've ever seen, whether it been a movie mm-hmm. or a series. And I'll tell you one... First of all, whoever did the music direction on this, it's a song by Roxy Music called In Every Dream House, A Heartache. The lyrics to this song are so fucking disturbing. <laughs> and you, if you, I watched the opening scene four times. Oh my gosh. Because it got me so much. And I pay attention, I pay a lot of attention to music. Mm-hmm. When she comes in and they start to play that song and I start to listen, it's basically about a blow up doll. Okay. The song, um, and as she's walking down that hallway, it terrified me so much, but in such a way that I went back and watched it four times. Okay, <laughs> we like the scares around here. <laughs> it was, it was, it was ter- It was tormenting. It was terrifying. You didn't know yeah. was she gonna get. And then you put it together that that's the wife. Yeah, scary. It that scene got me more than and the the and the closing scene. Yeah, and so then that's why we're in spoiler town. Um, the closing scene was amazing too. I mean, I yeah. don't know. It, 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 my The thing I wanted to talk about with spoilers is um, the fact that, you know, we have an FBI agent who's dealing with a kid, his own son, adopted son, who is basically a budding sociopath. Yeah. Psychopath, sociopath, we're not sure yet. Uh, but this, it, this part of the story, by the way, because we know this is yeah. Bill's basic. My understanding is this is not true True. story yeah but 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 it's soup it's 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 excellent storytelling oh it was great how they threw that in there yeah because it gives you that extra layer of you know bills you know it's like when we are therapists and we have people in our lives who are certifiable type of thing Mm -hmm. it's 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 something that's really interesting because he's a bit blinded by it at, you know, at first. And then you just really, I really, cause you know, as there, as, as you know, as in the field, I could see it coming. I mean, I didn't know that the kid was going to be part of a murder, but you could see what coming. I could see it was, this was what they were building to that. Mm. This kid was going to be a sociopath. I just saw it like in the, the way they portrayed his affect, the way in the, the first kid, the first scene in yes, the car, he talked yes, about, yeah, yes. mm-hmm. and then throughout, whenever they would talk about him mm-hmm. or allude to him, and they would talk about his behavior, mm-hmm. I just thought we're in trouble. Now, yeah. Kathy and I both work with kids, so it's maybe a little bit easier for us to pick out the mm-hmm. fact that 
a kid is going down a particular road. A lot of the kids that are on the cases that I supervise are uh, kids who have conduct disorder and are in the system and have these kinds of criminal behaviors. And so, and, and mental health, right? Mm -hmm. That those two things don't always go together as we've spoken about before, but when they have both, it's just, you could tell he has, um, he wouldn't speak for most of the, you know, the trauma, all of the stuff. It's like this kid is, unless there's early, early, early intervention, which we'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. uh, he's going down that road. So I just thought it was a great kind of. Yeah. And they, they, what I was saying to Shannon before we recorded was um, they kind of leave it up to the audience to decide mm -hmm. um, because they don't flat out say that he's directly involved. They, they really make it, look like he's more traumatized mm -hmm. but i think that's also told from sort of the mindset of the mother who's in complete mm -hmm. denial right and like you said as the season goes on bill's internal conflict yeah when he's sitting with those guys yeah. at the work thing yes. and that just hits him and he knows he's screwed yeah you see him you see him make the connection mm -hmm. uh between what he does and and where you know, and, and often what we do on this show is, is when we do our true crime psychology shows is we go into the childhood and, and track that. And so he's he's starting to do a little bit of that, which the FBI wasn't really doing. You know, they're they're mm -hmm. picking out behaviors. But this is the first this is the way I feel like maybe they're the way they're kind of introducing the childhood piece of this and right. how to and how to see it earlier and earlier. Absolutely. It's part of the profiling yeah. piece. And like we were saying as well, a, no child if if a child witnesses something like that, they're not going to use crucifixion as a way of bringing this kid back. They're going to bone out of there and run yeah. home crying yeah. um, unless they're somehow completely okay or unaffected by what's going yeah, on. Yeah, you in and that I moment. are running away. We're running away. <laughs> the other piece I wanted to bring up was that really, really started to open up the humanity of not only Bill, but Wendy Carr mm. in this season and how you, you start to see her trauma and her interpersonal stuff and she, mm -hmm. you know she meets the bartender the yeah. woman and um because in the first season she's she presents as really stoic and together and then you get behind the scenes in this season and this season really the majority of her character in this season other than one or two interviews is her personal life yeah you yeah i was struck by that in the first season too is that um as the psychologist in the crew and as the female they go more personal quicker which makes sense um and in the first season i think it's just the first season they they sort of show who she is in a relationship because she happens to be in a long-term relationship when the show starts and with a woman because yeah. they're both in they they yep. both find her attractive and then they don't expect right and, yeah. the, and she's and she's not she's passing in other words she's yeah. not telling it's it's mm -hmm. a time when it's a time when gay women had to pass in those kinds of environments well and especially in mental health it was just being removed mm -hmm. from the dsm and then to work with the FBI, like mm -hmm. she was passing and very, very scared that that would be a done deal. She'd mm -hmm. be gone. And, and I believe her. I mean, I didn't live in that climate. So mm -hmm. I, be I believe that that's that's the way it was. Mm -hmm. And then and then there's a breakup and she can't hand that relationship goes away. And so there's that. And then there's the whole like leaving the tuna can and the yeah. with the cat and then the cat doesn't come back and the ants come. And I don't quite yeah. know what that was about, but yeah. that was interesting. And then, yeah, so then now she's... There's more there with her. Yeah, for sure. Her sex life, et cetera. So 
She's an interesting one. And I have a feeling the last thing I guess I would say about it is I think that this Bill's personal story with her son being um, compromised mentally is also going to be a five-year yeah. part of the five-year oh, for journey, sure. right? Some, something bad, we're something see, worse is going to happen. We're going to see that kid grow up and kill yeah. people and stuff, I have a feeling, or something like that. Um, and then obviously the evolution of Dennis Rader through this too. Yeah. And the... And the fucking disturb i'm telling you the opening scene <laughs> and the closing scene and maybe it's the mask i don't know but you guys please go back and watch yeah. listen to this song by rocks music just put it on in your car <laughs> and every dream home a heartache that's the name of the song and it just it's so fucked i don't think i will it sounds very it's very creepy uh so we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna do our what the hell so we'll be right back in a minute Kathy and I can be reached on Instagram at Terror Talk Podcast, Twitter at Talk Terror, or on our Facebook page, Halloween All Year Long. If you like email, it's terrortalkpodcast at gmail.com. So reach out. If you like us, you can help us by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. We appreciate you so much. We upload new episodes every Wednesday. Keep coming back. But first, stick around for more of our show. Oh, hello. We're back. That was quick. Mm-hmm. What the hell? What the hell, Kathy? We haven't done this in a while. So for those of you who don't know what, what the hell is, these are the segments we do at the end of our show. And it's usually a little true crimeage. It's uh, it's a case or a news item that we have not really researched, but we read it and we thought, what the hell? Mm. It's usually like stupid criminals. But, you know, we branch out sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kathy, would you like to go first? I would love to go first. Oh, okay, cool. I'd like to say that mine is more of a historical piece this evening <laughs> and um, it takes place during the Middle Ages and it, it's labeled mass hysteria. Oh, fair. Okay. All right. During the Middle Ages, a baffling case of mass hysteria gripped an undisclosed covenant in France. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ready? Mm-hmm. The incident started with one nun meowing like a cat with the rest of the covenant soon following. So just picture that. You got yeah. one nun meowing like a cat. Okay. Catches on. You got about, <laughs> what do they call that? A, a herd of cats? Group thing. A group of <laughs> cats. A cattle? The Ooh. group would Ooh. meow together for oh. many hours at specific points during the day. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> okay. Nuns <laughs> and nuns. The incessant caterwauling baffled, infuriated residents of the surrounding neighborhood. That's how loud it was. So the nuns finally seized their meowing after soldiers who were sent to the covenant threatened to whip them with rods. What are they doing? And then a similar case also gripped a covenant in Germany. It caught on all the way in Germany when a nun began biting her companions. Subsequently, it triggered a biting epidemic that spread to other covenants and nunneries and reached as far as Rome. The nuns' bizarre behavior could be attributed to the period's intense belief in the supernatural. The nuns, with their cloistered lives and rigid religious expectations, were the ones most vulnerable to the episodes (laughs) of hysteria. So, hysteria, nuns caterwauling. Like I, groups, like a group of nuns 
meowing like cats so loud that soldiers had to come in and threaten to whip them with rods. What the hell? Yeah, I'm confused. I want to see a movie on that. Yeah, right? Mostly because I want to see a writer explain what the hell was going on. Um, So my story is, so we were just talking about Dennis Rader, um, uh, otherwise known as the BTK Strangler or BTK uh, killer so his eventual capture i figured out in like looking at this episode is a little bit of a what the hell mm. it's a little bit of a like aren't you smart why don't i don't this isn't very smart so it's actually the story of how raider was caught and it, it it it's it's a little bit what the hell but it's also a little bit in line with what we what we've been talking about like narcissism and <laughs> how that can handicap you in many situations. So what Raider does, what Raider does is he, at one point or another, he puts an ad in the paper, like a personal ad. They used to have those in the paper for those of you who don't know. And it says, can I communicate with floppy and not be traced to a computer? Now there were these things called floppy disks that went into computers back in the day. And what he's saying is, can I basically, can I send you a floppy disk and not have it be traced to a computer? Now we know these days that yes, of course it's going to be traced, but back then that was not common knowledge. Like we didn't really know what would happen. So, and then it says, be honest under miscellaneous section four, nine, four Rex, it will be okay. Meaning that's, well, you'll see what it says. Run it for a few days in case I'm out of town. Basically, like, if it's okay for me to send the floppy, run an ad in this section of the paper that says, Rex, it will be okay. And that will be my cue Mm. that it won't be traced. And so um, I will try a floppy for a test run sometime in the near future, February, March. So that's the ad he puts in the paper. So the... um, police, FBI, whoever it was, I'm not sure, uh, put the ad in the paper saying, Rex, it will be okay. And so he then sends the floppy. Uh, he, he actually sends the disc to a local television station because he, he's looking for uh, notoriety, right? So the disc was um, quickly traced to a computer at his church. <laughs> DNA testing soon confirmed that Raider was BTK because it matched all the... <laughs> oh, my God. A name he had taken him himself, which stands for Bind, Torture, Kill. If you didn't know, BTK is Bind, Torture, Kill. So within days, the serial killer, killer who'd been terrorizing Kansas forever um, was caught because he wanted to send a floppy disk to whatever. So, so he gets caught. That's the way he gets caught. And then... He said in the interviews when he's caught and they start talking to him, he says to the guy, I need to ask you, because it's the guy that I guess he's been talking to. I need to ask you, how, why did you lie to me? How come you lied to me? Meaning like, how come yeah. you told me yeah. not to say? <laughs> in his 32 hour interrogation turned confession, he didn't confess right out of the gate. He finally says, why did you lie to me? And the guy says, because I was trying to catch you. Yeah. <laughs> Which makes me laugh. Um, and then he says, um, and then he says, and then the guy that was interviewing the cop or whatever, he says he, could, he couldn't get over the fact that I would lie to him. 
he could not believe that I didn't want this to go on forever. That's wow. what it was. It's like he, 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 and then, and then BTK says like, I really thought Ken, the guy's name was Ken. I really thought Ken was honest when he gave me the heads up, like the wow, signal that wow, I wouldn't be wow, traced. Wow. The floppy did me in. I really thought he was being honest. And this Ken guy is like, he really, like in those hours of interrogation, he just could not believe mm. That I would lie to him, that I didn't want to have this mm-hmm. friendship, quote unquote, right? This mm-hmm. this back and forth forever. He mm-hmm. thought that this was good for me as it was for him. Wow. What the hell, man? That's crazy. I know. So that is our show. That is Mind Hunter. That is our What the Hell segment. I just want to thank everybody for listening and give you a heads up about what's coming up. So we are starting season two. Wow. And our not our very next ex- episode. Our next episode is a Friday. We'll release the next episode of Shrink Chat. But next week's Terror Talk episode of Wednesday marks our season two episode, episode one. one. Mm-hmm. So September is going to be. Uh, we're going to for that show. We're going to break down Amanda Knox, mm-hmm. not physically, but <laughs> mentally. We're going to break that down. Uh, the week after that, we're going to do a show on it, which we're very excited. Oh we're actually going to go see that together. And mm-hmm. then we're going to break down that. And, you know, that's a whole great thing. And then after that, we are doing, um, oh, my gosh, I forgot what we're doing. I know that at the end of September, we're doing the, oh, my gosh, I think it's the, um, oh, we're going to have to take a second to think about it because now I've often forget. Let me do. We're doing the uh, the terror um the torment, the tormented oh, that's films. Right, yeah. That's right. That's right. So after it, we're doing, um, a terror meaning, uh, Texas chainsaw massacre. Last house on the left. Last house, house of a thousand corpses. Like where the people are terrorized. And honestly, guys, I find those to be the most terrorizing oh, movies or the ones that actually scare me. Like very little scares me these days as mm-hmm. far as when, when I'm watching a movie but those kinds of things really terrorize me and then the end of September is uh, we're gonna do the staircase yeah the documentary and, and, and I think we'll probably reference other um, men yeah. who have killed their wives yeah that's gonna be the theme of the staircase so that's the last episode of September and then October we go into Halloween themed stuff so we're gonna do ghosts werewolves zombies vampires witches we're gonna do it all so Oh, please join us for season two. We're pretty excited. Thank you so much for listening. This is Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Terror Talk. Tune back in on Friday for our companion show, Shrink Chat. Don't hesitate to hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, or our Facebook page, all listed in the show description. Help us by subscribing on your podcast listening app of choice. We upload new episodes of Terror Talk every Wednesday and of Shrink Chat every Friday. Until then, goodbye and have a pleasant tomorrow.